0: Spend less time quoting and more time selling.
1: This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the US precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org.
0: Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Looking back, one of the competitive advantages I had when I started Rapid at the age of 37 was that this was my first major business. It blinded me to the reality of how hard it is to actually start and run a job shop. You don't get discouraged with setbacks because you don't know their setbacks. Today's guest, Andy Reinwald of Ripley Machine and Tool is an under 30 owner of a job shop that he purchased from his grandfather in 2015. And he was only introduced to manufacturing in 2010. We're gonna chat with him about what he's done since taking over the shop, why and how he is focused on a low budget digital approach to sales and marketing, and the different ways he acquires knowledge that he has not yet had the experience to live through. In the short time Andy's been a shop owner, Ripley Machine and Tool has seen tremendous sales growth and been recognized as a modern machine shop, top shop in 2018. And Andy himself has been singled out as an emerging leader by the production machining in 2019 and a 30 under 30 emerging leader our friends the national tooling and machining association a lot of accomplishments already welcome to the job shop show andy thank you thanks for having me jay yeah glad you're here well the snow is probably gone from upstate new york where you're located although i know that it can sometimes come late in the season there that area is also hockey country did you play hockey growing up Uh, No, I actually didn't, but, uh, you know, we never
2: had it in school or anything, but I I definitely followed it a lot. Yeah, you're a hockey fan?
0: Yep. Excellent. Which team do you follow?
2: I'm actually a Penguins fan, but, I mean, being that I'm only about an hour from uh, Buffalo, I, you know, definitely don't mind the Sabres and go to more Sabres games than I do Penguins games. Sure.
0: So, to get started – Maybe you could tell us a little bit about Ripley Machine and Tool. What are you guys special in? What what, what do we need to know about you?
2: Well, Ripley Machine and Tool was started in the 50s um, as a different company. And in 1994, my grandfather purchased the company. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, he kind of grew it pretty well, uh, you know, up until really 2008, 2009 uh, crash. And from there, you know, he just kind of was started looking into succession plans and, uh, 2015, we uh, worked out a, an agreement for me to purchase the company from them. Um, and I've been in, been the owner since then, uh, our primary line of work is really production CNC turning, uh, specifically in the valve industry. Mm-hmm. We also, we also specialize in grinding as really an outside service for other shops, specifically internal and centerless grinding. Uh, we have other support equipment as well, including CNC milling, uh, three-axis fashion. How many folks and size of the shop? Uh, we're we're about fifteen to twenty, depending on how you count employees. Uh, we're about fifteen thousand square foot.
0: Gotcha. And how did you get involved with the shop? With Were you recruited by your grandfather?
2: Yeah. Um, when I was in high school. I had always worked here. Uh, actually, I set up some of my grandfather's uh, Excel spreadsheets through my <laughs> elementary and middle school days. Uh, he was amazed at what I, what such a young kid could do. And I said, Grandpa, this is just common knowledge for all of us uh, millennials, quote unquote.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> um, but then, uh, 2010, as kind of the summer or as the school year wound down, uh, Grandpa. Kept bugging me about if I wanted to work during the summer I said well I'm doing some other stuff but you know I don't really have a true summer job and mm-hmm. and at that point in time that you, there wasn't a lot of readily available jobs due to the the kind of being at the tail end of the recession so I came to work at the shop ran a, a lathe I a, ran a valve component on indexing fixture and pretty much put a part in and pulled it out and hoped it was right uh, I learned how to check it but there wasn't much to it and Truthfully, didn't really like that, but after I gra- What's that? Why didn't you like that? Um, Just, yeah, I, I, there wasn't, it was a kind of a mindless task, truth be told. I a couple offsets throughout the course of the day, but really just staring at a machine running was
0: uh, the basis of it. So, Did he allow music in the shop and cell phones? I don't know if cell, phone, cell phones were around. They were, well, certainly they were around, but where the folks were using them as a music player or things like that
2: well music wasn't allowed it, it, we still don't necessarily allow it in the shop mm-hmm. um cell phones at that point in time were kind of not very prevalent i there's probably a couple of us that had smartphones but really it i mean some people might have had the old t9 cell phone
0: mm-hmm.
2: but they they really wasn't a so yeah, there wasn't much to do while the machine ran either. Yeah. You
0: just <laughs> stared, yes. <laughs> yeah, I I did that at her summer job. I had to take parts on and off of a lathe and then uh, use an exacto knife to do some deburring.
2: Yeah, was... and if I I still remember the cycle time of five minutes and forty seconds, and <laughs> and I, I I had figured out how I could get that part in and out of there in twenty seconds, so I could run ten an hour for eight hours a day and get eighty done in a day but
0: (laughs) then you have a lot of downtime in between
2: exactly but thankfully after my senior year of high school I came back to work again kind of didn't really have any better options and that's when I started to be able to uh, I got was started to work on manual mills some more and and doing Mm -hmm. just some blueprint or blueprint reading and and doing some basic stuff that I I found to be very enjoyable of actually machine shop uh, projects And that's when I started to really kind of get a lot more interested in, in, in working at the shop.
0: When you took over, we were chatting before and you're like a lot of shops, your customers are typically within an hour or two of the shop, but you have customers today who are five to six hours away who you, they were close to you, but they're, those companies were bought by other companies, and then they moved the business away, but you've retained the business so how typical that that's unusual why do you think you still have the business even though the distance has increased and there's a lot of shops between you and the customers right now
2: well I think the big thing for us is communication um I, i'm a type of person. I like to just hop in the vehicle and drive, go down and meet the customer. Obviously can't do that right now, but <laughs> um, the, just the communication is key. To and, and then obviously you're if you're communicating and, and making sure that you keep receiving orders and then working with a customer to ensure that you're delivering a high quality part, you're making sure you're communicating as to where you stand for price levels. Uh, we've actually seen where customers at were we were on boarded with a, as a part of an acquisition we've actually started to pick up lines of work inside of
0: their already existing
2: product line
0: you've used the word communication but what does that mean to you when you say you've got to communicate effectively
2: well just trying to make sure that you're staying on top of updating where, where you stand with orders where where your pricing is why you know if you quote a certain way, why you're quoting like that, because what might've worked with the previous company might not work with the the new ownership. They might be not, not really in tune with the way that you're doing things. So trying to know what works best for them,
0: however, that method of communication might be. Do you have a standard of how quickly you have to reply to emails or voice messages?
2: Um, I don't have necessarily a standard, but, Uh, i'm on or i have my i have my email on my phone and and i even will find myself checking it in the evenings i'm typically here 90 hours a week anyways so but i (laughs) i try to make sure that uh, even if somebody emails in the evening about something or on a weekend that you know at least the very least uh you get back to them and i also uh in this day and age I, i I really am not afraid to give out the cell, my cell phone and encourage people to shoot you a text, shoot you a picture of something. And it's really a, a great tool. Um, you know, as much as we might speak negatively, as shop owners might speak negatively about the cell phones, mm-hmm. they really can be a great tool as well.
0: That's a good point because some people are afraid to give out their cell phones. Do you, do you get a lot of text or is it calls on your cell phone?
2: actually a lot more texts just because of the convenience that you can, Hey, how are we coming along on this certain project? And, and it's quick that the, you know, he might right. be walking through his facility and see some parts that are waiting to go into assembly that they're waiting for parts from us. And it's just a quick text and I can get back to him whenever. And we don't forget to email back and forth. It's
0: right. very convenient. Do you see a, how the cell phones are used in texting with your customers is there an age preference what i'm getting towards do the younger uh, end of the spectrum with your customers use the texting more than older ones or is it uniform how do you see that
2: i definitely see it being a younger thing but i think it's starting to to really become more prevalent across all age groups Mm -hmm. um i've got people I deal with in their seventies that are texting me all the time. They text me more than I like, like, (laughs) I, this is
0: a phone call, not a text. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, you have a landline obviously in the shop. Yes. Do you have voicemail on that or do you, is that picked up all the time or do you have an automated system? Uh, We have just an
2: old school phone. I I find that not a lot of, a couple of our local customers will call, but they've got my cell phone and email that if they can't get in, we do have a voicemail, but it's not a high top priority for us. It's not really. um, I've thought about trying to forward the phone calls from the shop to my cell phone, but I'm not technologically advanced enough to do that. Are
0: the customers talking with other folks within your shop too, or communicating with other folks in your shop, or is it primarily just you?
2: Typically with me, Um, If I'm not around, you know, they, they, they know who to speak with if they need an answer, but typically it
0: runs through me. Do they, do the other folks in your shop or even, I guess, internally, are you using texting as a way to be less formal than email and have that immediate ability to answer questions? Is that something you encourage within your shop?
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, like I said it, it's,
2: it's sometimes you, you you know we get definitely get bugged by how much time people spend on their cell phones in general not just right. at work but the ability to just text at somebody hey this this priority or this part just became a uh, priority or uh, tooling is something that really is like a, a big big reason for texting that you can be able to Past, we even have group messages with our vendors and, and our employees to be able to kind of discuss what we need for tooling or what mm. we're looking, what the project we're looking at is is going to require. Um, so the, the texting across our shop floor and to our vendors and our customers is just working very well for
0: us. What would you say to a shop owner who is afraid of allowing texting like that? What 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 is a better way to think about it from a positive standpoint, as or or how do you get over? I'm sure you've you've had some misuse of it. How do you get over those things and and even that fear of of having the texting being so use, widely used in the shop?
2: Um, well, it, it really depends on what your your current policy is. For us, we never had the true form or uh, true. Cell phone policy in place when they started to really became become very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it was like okay, basically we're kind of unwritten rule that you know it's convenient for us, but you know, and you're going to lose some time. But that time that probably was spent texting was probably spent reading the newspaper 15 years ago or 10 years ago. So um, you do lose some of that, and you've got to monitor that. But the advantages of uh, if If you don't have
0: that, a, that, a, yeah that's a great point because let's say that you get an answer in thirty seconds from someone because you're able to text but in the past that might have involved one or two trips to find somebody face to face and then you've got all the pleasantries how you doing Andy a oh, good Jay what's going on and, whereas a text just gets to the point so I'm just thinking the you could look at it as a 30-second text replaces a five-minute interaction. So as much as you don't want them goofing off on their cell phone, if you, in a sense, lost two minutes to goofing off, then you're still ahead from a time perspective.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, and that's, I've, when we've had internal conversations about the cell phones, um, you know, I, I kind of Bring myself back to it a lot of times that I think it saves me more time personally than all total the shop loses because of them. And that's kind of where I'm like, "Eh, I guess it's kind of a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously, I know there's ERP systems out there and, and whatnot that probably, if adapted properly, could replace the communication that we're currently discussing. But for the time being, um, the, the ability to just it, text and text pictures and, and, and all that inside of our shop floor is saves a lot
0: of time for us.
1: Cool.
0: One of the things that it seemed to me is that when you bought the shop from your grandfather, it wasn't what I'll call a modern machine shop. You have worked and are still working to, bring it into the 21st century. And I think of somebody who is buying a shop that hasn't had a lot of investments made in the past few years to it, or perhaps you're a new generation taking over a shop like yourself. And now you have to think about, okay, the long-term, We can't do everything at once, but we want to modernize the shop. So in the beginning, did you write a business plan? How did you you go about that when you knew you were going to be the the owner?
2: Um, You know, no, I I didn't. I was 21 at the time, and, and I was kind of already running operations on a daily basis and had a very good understanding for everything that was going on. So for the really the first year of my ownership, I kind of was like, "All right, we'll just go with the flow." And as the first year started to progress, we were still continuing our year by year downward trend for sales. Um, You know, I started to 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 panic, and and it was like, "Oh my gosh, you know, we're gonna have to lay off people." And while I'd done that as a vice president before, I'd never done that as an owner, Um, and that was
0: very stressful. Um, So you. Did you deliberately just sort of go with the flow, or did you that that you were just trying to become an owner now and and adding on things just would have created a complexity that you weren't ready for? I'm just trying to understand what as a new owner how you went about it and what was the triggers. Well, you're talking about the trigger was the potential layoffs.
2: Well, we, I, when I said go with the flow, I I probably failed to mention, we actually did invest in a couple new twin turret uh, or twin spindle Ah. lathes, live tooling, which was like the best machines that we, this shop had ever had right after I purchased the company. But we kind of bought them as a means to be like, okay, cool. We can speed up the cycle times a little bit on the parts we're doing and, and save costs. But um, you and I both know the cost of of those machines it takes a lot of just
0: saving some time to to you've got to really add work yeah but this gets into what I'm thinking is is that something that perhaps your grandfather knew was a good investment but he just at his age didn't want to make any investments like that and you were just chomping at the bit ready to to go and how what what were you thinking When, when did you start thinking about that?
2: Yeah, that was definitely something that was really, and that that's an area we were flawed in when I took over because my grandfather was very, very early to bring CNCs in, and he was very frequently purchasing new machinery. Oh. Um, in 2008, he, he had added five new machines, CNC, brand new CNC machines, including the previously mentioned uh, indexing fixture that mm-hmm. I ran, um, and he had put on a brand new addition, uh, Uh, And that, then kind of that, basically they opened that up and just as everything was going downhill, uh, I always remember him saying is, I had a couple, or I, I opened the building, went in, had knee surgery, came back to work to lay off people and went home and recovered. That was kind of basically all within a two week period for him and, and really trying to recover from that. uh, We only purchased one new CNC machine from 2000 after 2008 to the time i took over and that was just to replace a machine that was done
0: okay so he he was investing up to the point of the recession in 2008
2: and 9. yeah in his age was i he didn't truly know what the plan was going forward so um there was a big pause in spending um and in trying to catch up from that was definitely became a priority as soon as we knew the business was going to keep on keeping on. Um, so that's why we brought in the, the two machines originally. But to go back to your original question, we just kind of let those machines just carry on and, and just doing what we were doing, following our processes, really nothing new.
0: Were there any, if you're looking back, any intentional things that you changed in year one or, or, outside of adding the equipment
2: we started to work towards iso compliance uh again iso registration
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, we started that in the middle of 2015 i believe but it was kind of a slow process uh, making some minor changes but really just kind of at that point in time we were just kind of shooting just to meet the requirements do what we had to do and and just to get that rubber stamp
0: of approval why Um, did you think iso was important
2: I don't really remember exactly why it was somewhere in a conversation I somebody had asked me if I think we had when trying to acquire new work, we'd been asked if we were ISO certified and mm-hmm. um, and I you know after hearing that a couple of times i I kind of thought it would be necessary to get ISO certified.
0: Gotcha. The purpose behind what you do is important to you. We were chatting about that before the podcast started, when did you really start thinking about purpose? Was it there on day one? And maybe you can just tell me a little bit more about what your what your purpose is besides making parts?
2: Um. Yeah, honestly, I don't think it was there on day one. I, I mean, I, I kind of, I I really, for me, I won't lie. It just wasn't, I mean, I, I worked hard, but it wasn't the, the drive inside of me was just to, to work, you know, it wasn't really to the big picture. Like I, I feel like I have now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, as we started to go through 2015 and, and 2015 kind of was that continuation of the downward sales trend that we were having before I took over the business. Um, and then 2016 is, was, was and still is actually the worst year we've ever had, including through 2008, 2009. Um, as I started to go through that year, and I took it, really was hard on me uh, to to have to have the stress of, of honestly um, trying to stay open. Mm-hmm. And kind of as that year progressed, I started to reshift my focus and my and really have a true faith in God um, and, and His plans for whatever was to come out of it. And I I just remember specifically in 2016, one week, not necessarily having a plan as to how I was going to make payroll at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of saying, well, God, it's in your hands. I don't know, we'll figure out something. And and lo and behold, uh, I looked down on the the desk and there's an IRA statement, just out of the blue monthly statement that I had enough money to make payroll after I paid the fees and sure enough, we made payroll and that was kind of a, you know, just it's, um, so really just my faith in God is, is uh, drives me. Uh, and that's from there, we started really turning things around. We, we started focusing more on improving and we, I mentioned the ISO and how we were just doing it for the rubber stamp. And uh-huh. we started to look as to what you can get out of a true quality management system and how that can benefit your business. And as mm-hmm. we started to do all those things, it's really kind of just led us back to let us to where we are now and hopefully continues the upward trend of, and not just in sales, but just in terms of um, just general attitude from the company and, and the difference that we're making in our employees, and our community everywhere.
0: So supporting the community is part of your purpose.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, to, it was always a big focus of my grandfather's was charity. Um, he did a lot to help other people out. And sure. as I, you know, watching him and admiring him in that regard, uh, that's something that I really carried on and, and really want to, to do. And while we don't necessarily have a certain number, um, a significant percent of profits at our business do go back into specifically local charities
0: to make a difference that's great i that's that's really uh, commend you for that and how do you support your employees are there times where you go above and beyond being a i guess what's required as an employer
2: oh yeah absolutely um you know i i i I take that that and that's somewhere where I felt that even in the last few months, uh, my grandfather passed away in September, and and just oh, kind wow. of at that point in time, that that was a, I think a big turning point in my life. I, um, and being able to, I, I just remember uh, being out with a friend and and get, being asked, "What's what is Ripley Machine about?" And I struggled to answer that question. Um, you know, obviously I could give her the mechanical knowledge or the mechanical of this is what we make blah 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 no yeah. one's has got to understand that but it, that question just resonated with me and and for me i i really want to see that we're not just coming to our employees aren't just coming to work to collect a paycheck that they're coming here that they you know are able to to be you know well off or decently well off outside of work
0: and that they've got a purpose outside of work does and that, yes, then it's definitely more than a job. And sorry, you lost your grandfather there. That seems though his spirit's living on in you.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a difficult time, but, um, you know, he was sick for a few weeks. And, and the last week of being able to just spend the evenings, a lot of evenings with him, just talking about work, about uh, faith in God and those types of things truly made a huge difference for me in my life.
0: The turnaround happened in two thousand. Well, two thousand sixteen was a worst year that you had. What was the catalyst? How did you change the way you were thinking and make Ripley start growing?
2: Um. Really, I mean, we obviously definitely caught some breaks. Uh, that it became a lot better uh, business, especially manufacturing business climate in that mm-hmm. time frame. Um, but we just continued to, we just kind of kept like, okay, new project, new project, new project um, through our through various means of you know, even our current customers and then new customers, and just it was like a, a slow. Or a big truck getting rolling that is like kept just kind of growing and growing and growing, and it it turned into a a very busy and chaotic year in 2017.
0: Were you the project manager, sales contact point? Were there other folks significantly involved in bringing new customers in, or was that what you saw as your responsibility as the owner?
2: That's, that's something that as a small shop, I've always taken full responsibility and, uh, is trying to drum up new business and
0: whatever means necessary. Yeah. And what percent roughly did sales increase in 2017 over 16?
2: Uh, we were over a hundred percent increase.
0: And the shop was able to handle that increased workload. Did you have to make any changes or adjustments?
2: Uh, we, we made some hires and obviously we, we had, we made some significant, uh, increases in hourly or hours Mm worth. Um, but for, we really, actually, I'm really proud of my guys and the way we handled it. And the big part was, is that we weren't, we didn't have, we didn't lose anybody through the downturn in 2016. And that was a a lesson my grandfather taught me as he did the same thing from 2008, 2009, being able Mm -hmm. to keep your workforce together. So we, when the the water spigot gets turned back on you're ready to go.
0: How did you do that? Were people working less than 40 hour weeks or did some people get furloughed? What, yeah, we what? had
2: we definitely had um I know at one point in time we utilized the shared work plan and we we laid off but we tried to try to work with our employees to ensure that the core group of people were um Staying work in it. And we tried to, to try to focus that that was a key expense for us it, you know, we, um, pushed a lot of other expenses down, down the road, uh, through, through yep. various methods. And we just focused on our employees because that, that's, that was, that's a key asset for us.
0: Yeah. I remember in January of 2009, when you didn't know what was going to happen and business is always slow for prototyping in that time frame. That was our worst downturn during the recession and we made the decision not to lay folks off and bite the bullet as a group so we went down to 32 hour weeks and told the folks i don't know how long this is going to last but this is if you can't survive on that i understand but this is what i want to do and we did that for two weeks and then the business started coming back and we were able to bring people back to 40 hours and no overtime and then eventually bring the overtime back. But I thought it made sense of lot. sounds like a lot like what you were doing to keep the group intact because manufacturing cyclical, it's going to come back.
2: Yeah, that's exactly, like I said, that was the lesson I took away from 2008, 2009 Um, and was able to apply it to 2016 and and just the that 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 knowledge that your crew has it's it's worth a lot.
0: Right now I want to get back to the growth but right now I'm thinking you mentioned earlier you're working 90 hours a week and you have a good reputation for a shop you've got to be doing the right sort of things if you have customers who have been acquired and businesses being purchased from afar and they're giving you more work so you're going to keep growing but it's going to be tough to improve upon 90 hours a week Um, what do you what's your plan in how the shop will grow so that you don't have to continually work 90 hours a week and you when you get to the point where you can't just open the door of the shop and shout out hey make the parts like last time but make sure you knock the edge off that radius it's not on the print but we got to do it how do you how do you think about that transition or is that even on the radar
2: um no that's that's a great question and it's something that i've struggled with um right now i at this point in time, it's kind of when people say, oh, you're working a lot of hours, what else is there to do? <laughs> but <laughs> um, hopefully, as this crisis hopefully starts to come to an end, um, and we get back to somewhat life as normal, um, that's definitely something that for me, uh, you know, I've known that while I, I do, I never want to be a hands-off owner. Obviously, the, the extreme hours that I put in, um, ideally, you know, I, I'm, I start to be able to put that time towards a home and, and potentially a wife and kids and, and all those great things and, and doing more in the community and doing more and all those um, for myself. But um, so that's definitely a, a priority of mine. And we're kind of the same way we, we talked earlier about just kind of a little bit at a time. We're trying to figure out ways that we can um, improve for the time being to eliminate the need to run in here and ask me a question or potentially run up to our foreman or another. We're trying to get that, that, uh, that tribal knowledge. We want that expanded out to all of our workers
0: whenever possible. Um, I think that was- it, I, I just had a question for you. you. You mentioned the term tribal knowledge. When you talk about that in your shop, do people get that phrase?
2: Um they don't understand exactly what I say, probably when I say tribal knowledge, but as soon as I start to explain it, they're like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Where did Um, you, where
0: did you pick that up?
2: I actually picked it up from our ISO auditor uh, from, he uh, used, he had asked me a question at one point in time. And I said, well, he said, well, how do you know this? And I said, well, pretty much the entire shop just knows it. And he said, Oh, tribal knowledge. And he, he kept saying it a couple more times and I wrote it down. I, I always enjoy those conversations you have because uh, our particular auditor he's very wise and and so great great guy to learn from. But I actually picked it up from him, and lo and behold, it was in the 2015 standard as organization organizational knowledge. But
0: um, so, organization okay. So it's tribal knowledge is slang for organizational knowledge. Gotcha. So you you're going to make that transition and just taking it piece by piece?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, for me right now, I, I think the the big thing we see in our future at some point in time is a more advanced ERP system. Um, Are
0: you using one now?
2: We're using a very, very old one, which is we use for creating job travelers. And other than that, we've actually basically outdated it. But we're working with that system right now to just incorporate certain things that it's like, Basically, what I've told a lot of my guys is, when you have to go ask somebody some question, whatever it might be, think to yourself, how do we prevent that question from having to be asked, even if it's not by yourself again, but by somebody else? Um, and we're we're trying to implement that into our into our work travelers, um, so we, mm. that information is readily available. So that way, if one person has to ask it, or if one time we run into a problem, it's laid out for everybody to know down the road. So that way we don't have that, hey, only so-and-so knows how to do this.
0: So we, at Rapid, we would encourage folks to write notes on the travelers. And when they came back in, we attempted to put all the notes into the traveler, into the work orders, so that the next time the job ran, they would be captured. We weren't always so successful on that. I just curious is that how you're doing it and how how successful are you of in it's sort of a it depends sort of by person by person is what we saw
2: yeah that's that's what we find um and sometimes it's one of those like it's tough as a as an owner because it's like you want the employees to do that and to take that time to to make those notes and do all that but all of a sudden when they're getting done with a setup and the customer's screaming for their parts and you're sitting there watching them uh, do something instead of going on to the next setup, they're writing notes. It's tough to have patience regarding, and it's tough to just get guys to keep doing that. But we're pretty much following that same, put the note on a router. We actually have a form that they can fill out as well. Mm. Um, and we were really struggling with that. And now we're starting to, we've actually incorporated that whole thing into our quality objectives for our quality management system. And we're starting to get a little bit more progress and we've got a cool initiative starting in the month of May where we're going to kind of make some challenges on who can turn in the most of those types of notes, changes, improvements, whatever they might be to, to just try to drive that nail home that we want, want the guys to be doing that to, to, to,
0: you know better our our process down the road you mentioned you're making a part of your quality management is that a particular tool or just part of a, a the process of your quality management
2: well what we did is as i kind of soul searched uh late last year we actually implemented continuous improvements into our quality objectives and mm-hmm. we're utilizing all these things we're recording them as a continuous improvement because that's what we want in order to have, we don't want continuous improvement to be something that two or three people at the top of the, of the line right. are doing. We want everybody, all 18, 19, 20 employees to be doing every single day.
0: So I want to get in the nitty gritty. I want to, how do you capture those, are there specific software tools or you mentioned a form? What, how does that process look?
2: Um, well, we're we're following the process of basically as things come in, we we enter them into our ERP so that way they're on the travelers. The next time we create a job packet for that particular job, now actually all we've only done is just add an Excel spreadsheet that we're recording it with a bunch of different uh, functions and uh, macros to keep track of who's who's done what,
0: um, but nothing too fancy, I guess. Is that a homegrown spreadsheet? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. And when did you get your ISO certification? We were certified in September of 2016. You think it's paid benefits for you beyond the fact that you can tell customers you're ISO certified?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, the the first The first year, where like I say, we were just going with the flow of what that what was required of us. It paid benefits numerous times just the things that we did because we kind of had to um now that we've really embraced and, and i love the 2015 standard i love so many aspects that they added into that um but embracing the, that standard and really utilizing it to how you're running your business is so beneficial um specifically the continuous improvement and the organizational knowledge, both of those things are a big part of, of each of those, um, and we're 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 trying to utilize those to our to our advantage. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. You also bought Mastercam, I think it was last year, and you're using that now to program part?
2: Yes, we we late last year in december we uh invested in mastercam and training actually we spent a lot of time in training for our guys so they were well versed on it and are are you one of the programmers as well i'm not i i know enough to get myself in trouble on there i'll get in if i get a, a solid file from a customer i i know enough to get around and and it's not pretty but i don't try to uh be doing a tool pass or anything on there yeah i one of these days i'm gonna i'm gonna either go to school or else make my guys teach me mm-hmm. how to uh how to do all the ins and outs of Mastercam. but how
0: did you program before that
2: um pretty much a lot of what we did was either on our lathes we were strictly con- conversational mm-hmm. um the, the mills we were using just a lot of pre-written code and then applying them as necessary to the parts that we were running uh you know modifying as needed and, and or just writing programs out by hand
0: what made you decide to buy Mastercam then
2: um truthfully we i was actually started it all started looking at a uh, new mill and it was a, oh. a, a, a five axis and and it was a good deal and i kind of was thinking about pulling the trigger and i got back and i thought boy we don't have a way to program that <laughs> And we don't have a way to uh, really truly inspect with that. I said, well, guess we can't put the cart in front of the horse. So then I started thinking about programming software as kind of being our next step. And I started looking at all around the shop at kind of all the things where we could utilize that programming software. Mm-hmm. And it became a no brainer at, at the time. And then we were uh, kind of had a, a month, of, month off, I guess you could say in December, where we didn't really have a lot of work. Um, so it was a good opportunity to kind of utilize that breather to uh, train our guys and, and start to implement the Mastercam.
0: What was the reaction in the shop? Were they excited to have Mastercam in? Was there resistance? No, they were very
2: excited. Everybody, uh, the, the, the individuals that I talked about training, they were very excited, and the, uh, the rest of the shop knew that it was just another step forward for our shop.
0: Was it a group decision to buy Mastercam?
2: Um, you know, I, I ran it by, I kind of asked the opinions of the, the guys that were actually going to be doing the programming. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you know, what do you guys think? And, and they were on board and were excited. And they we got talking about, you know, where they could use it. So then I brought them into the meeting and kind of said, you're going to sit with, you're going to sit and listen to the sales pitch. And I'm not going to interrupt. I'm just going to, I might be here, but I'm not here to I want you guys to to tell me what you think, if, if it'll work. And they were very, uh, very, spoke very positively of it and thought it would work. And, and that was, so then, I mean, from there, I obviously pulled the
0: trigger and, and went down that route. Great. Any other big things you've done in the, I wanna get into the digital sales and marketing a sec, but in the shop, are there any other big things you've done in the last five years?
2: Um, well, the biggest probably thing for us that we've done in the last five years is we got into the work of Swiss turn Um, Ah. last, last February, we, uh, bought a Sugami, uh, basic base, just a basic Sugami five axis lathe. Um, but it completely new line of work. We'd never done Swiss work before. So. And that's been well-received. Oh yeah, that was uh, um, you know it just that's was a great investment for our
0: show. Were you able to take existing work that you were doing on other type of equipment and put it there?
2: Yeah, we had a couple jobs that when we were initially exploring uh, the purchase of the, the Swiss, that we had ca- we worked with our the the Morris Great Lakes and, and kind of to get a do a couple time studies on a few jobs that we were doing on mm-hmm. a lathe. And the big thing about those is that they either had secondary operations or they had uh, operations on a sub spindle that were taking away from time that the main spindle was actually machining on the part. Um, so we, we knew going into that, that we would be saving a lot of time and a lot of handling, just getting a finished part coming off the machine uh, most of the time. So we had a few jobs that were specifically earmarked for that machine. Um, But as we quickly found out that it's like, well, when you cut that time, it it goes, it eats through the, the backlog really quick. (laughs) So then we were able to start to get into uh, a lot of parts that we never would have uh, been able to do before. And um, we've, we've had great luck with it. Just it's still a learning curve. Uh, There's just so much to it. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
2: But it's definitely a staple in our business going forward, and I look forward to the opportunity for the next access or multiple accesses or whatever that might hold for the next machine that we will hopefully someday and then be purchasing.
0: Well, that's a great segue into the sales and marketing discussion that I wanted to chat with you about because 2016, not a good year, and you cranked up the sales and marketing you have a particular flavor and how you did it and you're a small shop so you didn't have a lot of money what what did you do or what things did you do that that worked and what maybe didn't work so much
2: um one of the first things that we really did is we we kind of went to our existing customers and discussed with them like areas of work that hey you know why aren't we getting more work what can we do to to get more work um, and, and sometimes, you know, those conversations like, well, you, you know, you gotta cut your prices or some, mm-hmm. something yeah. that was just like this, it might not happen, but right. other times we found it's like, oh, well, you know, we can, we can work with you on that, or we can do that. Um, you know, one, one particular customer that we actually, um, in discussion, they were paying their, a lot of our competition was actually foreign. And, and then they also, some of the domestic competition was halfway across the country or wherever so we kept talking and talking i said the simple solution was well let's how about i quote you a delivered price because it just Mm. it didn't make the our poor the poor purchasing agent was having to calculate out 15 different quotes and then factor in shipping on all this and and so um we we just started with a lot of uh talking to our current customers, how we could better serve them, what they needed, how we could get more work from them. And then we
0: started to focus on trying to find new customers. Before we get to the new customers, so uh, there's two things that I'm hearing there is, number one, you did something, I'm sure you were always talking to customers, but it sounds like you had more substantial conversations.
2: Yeah, we, we really tried to have and I it's specifically uh, several of them face-to-face conversations uh, in their facility a lot of times so yeah. we you know I'd say hey what's that part why are we not making that for you we can make that so and you had
0: you had never done that before I had but not to that extent okay so this is this is great this is basic sales 101 but it worked right
2: yeah yeah I mean it was a lot of learning on the fly um, yeah. And, and honestly, a lot of times it was like, well, you want to quote it? Yeah, okay, yeah, it, th-
0: here you go. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love it, that's that's what I mean by sales 101 because you have to ask for the RFQ, you ask for the order. The other thing that you I like is you said, let me quote you a delivered price, and that's, did did they start asking the foreign competition to quote a delivered price? as well as opposed to having to figure it out? Because that's a great way to, to make your competitors work harder and do things they may not want to do, but it gives that buyer that Apple and Apple comparison.
2: I, I don't think they ever actually um, did, but I think a lot, that definitely was like a, okay, like if, if it's somewhat near on pricing, we'll just go with Ripley machine because we know we don't have to factor in shipping. Right and um, you know so that was definitely a a very big selling point, specifically for a couple of our customers. That's great. Okay, so new customers, what'd you do? Um, The big thing we started to do was just focus digitally, um, just trying to trying to get out in front of get out get our name, get our parts out in front of potential customers. Um, One of the biggest things that we did was a focus on posting LinkedIn specifically. We do somewhat Facebook, Instagram, but it's not, it's not mm-hmm. anything spectacular. It's one of those, we need to do that. But next thing you know, you got eight quotes or this or that to do, and it just kind of gets thrown to the back burner. So LinkedIn, how often did you post? Um, typically once a week. And we also utilize that to find the right people at the customers we were targeting. Mm. Um, to try to get in front of them, message them and, and, uh, use that to at least know who to direct or to, uh, put as a contact when sending direct mail or, or maybe cold
0: calls. Um, and, and that's, uh, uh, that was a big step for us. And you started doing that in 2016, 2017? Yeah, late 2016, we started to do that. Um, you're, you're definitely, you definitely, were, you were working it when nobody else really was because LinkedIn is incredible t- as a resource for finding both companies, but like what you said, the, the right people in the companies.
2: Yeah. And I, I always remember a early 2017 going to a uh, seminar in Cleveland mm-hmm. and uh, the presentation was kind of, I, I believe it was, I think it was at, um, just giving data but it was saying about like using online and, and a guy in the, he kept arguing. He's like, it was a whole conversation about like he had a point to prove that it wasn't working, you know? And, and I just sat in the back and I, I figured I don't need to say anything, but I just was amazed because it's like, even if it works once, it's not costing you anything. And, and typically in our line of work, if you get one customer that's worth a lot because you're going to get more and more work from that customer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What other, well, let me ask you, what's your definition of digital sales and marketing? It's
2: um, a good question. Uh, really just being present on the computer, uh, email and, and, and social media and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the, 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 bigger picture of, of the digital that in a perfect world, if we had the time and, and the, you know, videos and, and all of that, that being able to do maybe even, especially now as we go through the, the COVID-19 crisis, potentially a, a digital tours and, and those types of things mm. um, that that's all, you know, out there. I mean, it's not something we've utilized yet, but it's definitely something I see as being a, a big thing for
0: shops, that are trying to advertise digitally yeah did you upgrade your website at all is that part of your digital
2: yeah we actually did that in 20 or or late 2015 we we put out a a website and it was kind of loosely based off of what we had had before but just kind of modernized and Mm -hmm. um then in middle of to late last of 2018 we went through and revitalized it again and and really to be more of like who we are. Um, and then we just last month uh, redid our website again, including uh, the uh, addition of the quoting through paperless parts.
0: The 2015, 2018, 2020, you've, you've made investments, in your website. What, if you don't mind sharing, what money did you spend in each of those years on your website? just for um rest. yeah not a whole lot in relative terms well that, it, that's yeah. why i want i appreciate if you spend if you share the number because i think people think a website upgrade costs a lot of money and that's
2: no i mean i think all three up the the 2018 was relatively cheap because we already had the page there and it was just kind of modifying things certain areas and, and redoing uh different pages so it was just more of a lot of typing and, and entering than anything but the other two were less
0: than $1,500. Less than 1500 Yes. So you're happy with the upgrade to your website and it costs less than 1500
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, that's, for a job shop owner, that's not a lot of money and the website is your storefront. People aren't walking in your door today, they're looking at your website and that's, it's, it's, I think it's gotta be up to date.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I mean, for, for, I don't care what you're doing. The first thing you do, if, if, if I get somebody called, gives me a perfect cold call, the first thing I'm going to do, maybe even while I'm on the phone, I'm going to go to Google Mm -hmm. and Google their company. Yep. So if, if I come to an outdated website, you really got to make up for whatever you're selling. It's really got to blow me away. Um, to, to, to compensate for the lack of it's, it's 2020 people, you know, it's, it's get with the times.
0: Right. And it doesn't cost that much money. No, no, absolutely (laughs) not. The awards that you and your shop got were those, did you apply to those to thinking that you would get the PR that would generate new customers? And how did you use use those awards in marketing efforts
2: um well initially to start off that the original first award that we really won was the 2018 modern machine shops top shop award mm-hmm. um for those unfamiliar they modern machine shop runs a top shop survey uh every year early on in the year basically looking at your data from the previous year and it's a benchmark mm-hmm. survey for job shops and it's very, very, very detailed. Um, and I had went to that's, that was the conference I was actually at in Cleveland the year before. And I thought I got a copy of the the survey or the uh-huh. the information that they had, the data that they had compiled from that survey. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I can look at what other shops are doing and, and specifically what other top shops are doing uh-huh. and try to replicate that in my shop the best I can. So as 2017 wound down and 2018 began i i just filled out the survey because i thought that's great information and you can get your a dot on each page to show where you are compared to other shops yeah so i filled out that survey in early 2018 and uh derek corn at the time was with modern machine shop now the editor at production machining magazine Mm -hmm. um he contacted me in early summer and he said hey you know we were we we selected your shop as a we would hope that you would participate we selected you as a top shop and um you know from there we obviously were able to be featured on the cover of modern machine shops magazine in september of 2018 uh as well as uh participate in their 2018 top shops conference at imts
0: that's, that's awesome that's awesome so <laughs> I, I, you you did it just for the learning and yeah it led led to other opportunities
2: yeah our data had really kind of was looking pretty good so they had a
0: cool yeah well congratulations that's a competitive award and to win that you've got to be doing something special in your shops so they uh I, i love that the session you went to in cleveland was that a national tooling and machining association event yes it was an ntma event um it- let, let me so you are a obviously a member of the ntma which yep. chapter uh northwestern
2: pennsylvania even though we're in new york or a mile from pa so
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh their chapter is very active so national said you're better off to be in their chapter and and uh and so glad we are
0: so you've you participate in the the local chapter, but this was a national event in Cleveland. Why? It, well, obviously it led to the Top Shop award. But why did you join? Why do you stay a member of MTMA? What do you get out of the membership?
2: Um, the the MTMA, I I joined it just kind of uh, as I was a young shop owner, just looking for connections, maybe for work, maybe for just to learn. Um, don't remember exactly when I joined I just remember initially going to uh an event Uh, I believe it was actually the a blue collar bash and then eventually playing in a golf outing and getting to to meet some of the people in Meadville area that uh were were very very wise and knowledgeable in the machining industry so it was awesome to 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 kind of communicate with them and get information from them and as I started doing that, it became going to more and more events. Uh, the local, like I said, the local Northwestern PA chapter is very active. Um, they're, they're typically having a different event almost every month of the year. Um, wow. and a lot of it is uh, just this morning, they had a uh, webinar on the the cares act and what it meant for manufacturers. Yeah. So just so much knowledge that they, they're turning out to their
0: members. You're going to stay a member. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Do you I, have a uh, leadership role in the chapter? Yeah, I just this year uh,
2: became uh, board on the or was put on the board of directors for the Northwestern chapter.
0: Why did you decide to up the ante and put in unpaid volunteer time? Essentially, why is that well, worthwhile?
2: Um, because of what the NTMA is doing for. Uh, the presence of manufacturing, the, just the image of, of manufacturing, uh, just constant promotion in, you know, schools, in national media, local media, uh, everything they're doing. And then as it, educating, the NTMAU is a phenomenal uh, tool for shops to be able to uh, have their, their employees be trained in, in really a low-cost training while they're still working. So just so many benefits that, that they offer they, to be able to continue to kind of help our chapter mm-hmm. uh, continue to offer those benefits and continue to be the star chapter for however many years, I don't know how many years in a row that Northwestern PA has been the star chapter of, of the NTMA.
0: Well, you mentioned earlier, part of your purpose is giving back to community and in a sense, the local chapters in the NTMA is, is your community too. Yeah, absolutely. Do you belong to any other organizations? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm
2: actually a member of the PMPA, uh, which is the Precision Machines Product Association. Okay. Um, joined that about the same time I did the NTMA. Just I think I kind of joined them both and thought, well, I'll see which one I like more and then give up on the other one. And that was four or five years ago. So, Guess still, I never
0: uh, gave up yeah. on either one. <laughs> so you must find value there as well. Why, what What sort of value do they provide?
2: Well, one of the, 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 the first, the, the PMPA is, uh, they a lot of their members seem to be a lot more similar to us in terms of what their products are, what they're doing in their shops as being production, machine, a lot of turn machine product. Uh, high, more high, high quantity. Uh, whereas like the NTMA was kind of a lower quantity type tooling type of thing. But one of the big benefits for me of, that I've seen of the PMPA is their listservs. Um, and what is a listserv? List, yeah, what those are is it's like an email discussion that's topical. Um, and you can subscribe to them. And if there's different topics. One, I know that I'm subscribed to the CEO listserv, the HR listserv, the technical listserv, uh, a couple other, but basically if you have a question for that specific listserv, you fire it out there and everybody gets an email that's, Hey, I'm looking to to do this or I'm having this problem. What's the recommendation or "What what do you guys think? And there's all these members that have all these years of expertise and knowledge. They're able to reply to that email and say, "Hey, back in 1985, we had this. <laughs> we had this part that sounds like what you're working on, or hey, we're having the same problem in our shop, and and we did this with that employee, or or those types of things." And and just that instantaneous be- ability to kind of consult with your
0: co- right. or with your peers is is amazing. Do they archive the conversation so you can look at before you even maybe fire off an email, you can see if it's already been answered.
2: Yeah. They archive them on their websites and you're able to go in and, and from my understanding, I, it's been a while since I've actually looked up one on their archives, but you can search certain words and be able to find any of those keywords or find conversations regarding that in the past.
0: So for someone like yourself, you're learning from the experience of others. it's almost, if you want to say a, uh, the, the, the tribal knowledge of the machining community, right? Oh,
2: absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting the sense you, you think that the NTMA and the PMPA would complement each other because you still belong to both. Oh yeah. They, they absolutely do. That's great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today, Andy. It, brings back memories when i was a new shop owner and i was figuring stuff out and plowing through walls that i didn't know were walls at the time so it's fun to to go back and think of those days and i they they were looking back they were a lot of fun times although they were they were hard times as well so i really uh, can appreciate the journey you're on right now. And it sounds like you're having fun doing it. Really think that the last comments here about the NTMA and the PMPA, maybe folks were been thinking about joining those, you've maybe given them a nudge to do so. And someone who's thinking, okay, this is May of 2020, i need to find some new business digital sales and marketing get on the social media platforms upgrade your website you just don't have the option now face-to-face time so we've got to change the way we work with prospects and even though you're a small shop you're you're doing it it's effective and you you can show business that you've gained directly from it so i Thank you for being willing to share that. Did we miss anything?
2: Uh, No, I I think we touched on a lot of bases.
0: Yeah, this has been a great conversation. Where can people find you in Ripley Machine?
2: Um, Well, you know, as you might know, we have a website and we have a uh, LinkedIn profile. Um, Our website is www.ripley.com dash machine dot com mm-hmm.
1: um,
2: I encourage you to go on there we have a quoting platform right on there that you can fill out a form and get direct uh, blo- upload your prints right there upload your solid file so we, we can get you a quote back almost immediately um, also I encourage you to, to look me up on LinkedIn and, and add me and, and strike up a conversation
0: well I appreciate you being open to doing that. And uh, that, uh, thinking about it, this would be a great way for somebody maybe who's not real familiar with LinkedIn. Okay. Here's somebody who wants to connect with you, to link with you. And it's a entry into digital media. Well, folks, I hope you are as jazzed as I am after listening to this podcast Andy shared such a great story. And I think so many of the details are relevant to small shop owners Perhaps you think about your own situation. You probably have a loyal customer base who will support you while you continue to improve your business, whether it's bringing in an ISO certification or a new type of equipment. There's so many ways to improve your business. And the super thing is that you don't have to do all of them. Don't get overwhelmed, just pick one and start there and get your team involved, get a win under your belt, feed on that success, and then promote it digitally. So that's it for today. Thanks for making us a part of it. Until next time, keep those spindles turning, those lasers cutting, and those websites humming. Have a wonderful day.